On August 29, 2014, Lennon Lacey, a 17-year-old black teenager, was found dead, hanging by either two belts or a dog leash and a belt, depending on which source you read, tied together to form a noose from the frame of a swing set in the center of a predominantly white populated mobile home community in the small town of Bladenboro in eastern North Carolina. It only took four days for police to declare that Lennon had committed suicide without investigating to answer the most glaring question. Was Lennon lynched? Let's break down the details. Secrets of the Trees presents The Suspicious Death of Lennon Lacey Lennon, who was a West Bladen High School Knights football linebacker, had a big game that he had been eagerly looking forward to playing on the day of his death. He was working towards securing a scholarship to play college football. His ultimate dream was to play for the NFL. He had washed his uniform, laid it out, then he headed out for an evening walk. As Lennon had asthma, his doctor recommended he exercise outdoors in the evening, when the humidity and temperature dropped. At about 10.30pm, he left his family's apartment and walked down a dirt road. This was the last time his family would see him alive. The next day, early in the morning, at about 7.30am, Lennon was found hanging from the frame of a swing set in the center of the mobile home community he lived at. According to the 911 recording and initial police report, a 52-year-old woman was able to take Lennon down from the swing set while on the phone with dispatch. There are different reports as to Lennon's weight. I've read he weighed anywhere from 207 to 240 pounds. Lennon was also 5'9". The swing set was almost 8 feet tall. It also appeared that the belts and or dog leash that was used as a noose had no cuts after Lennon was placed on the ground. As for the weight of the woman who cut him down, according to the director of Always in Season, a documentary that examines the death of Lennon, well, she was about 125 pounds. I was unable to find the dispatch call, but I was able to find portions of the transcript. According to an article by Global Grind, the entire first minute and a half of the call is the dispatcher asking the caller to give her an address after the caller explains several times where she is located. The caller gets physically ill, eventually relaying that they are at a big mobile home park owned by Bladen Rental Properties on Mill Street. The rest of the audio call goes like this. Dispatcher. It's a male subject hanging from the swing. Caller. It's a black male subject hanging from the swing. He hung himself. Dispatcher. Do you know how old he is? Caller. Oh God. Late 30s, early 40s. The dispatcher, identified as Patty by the caller, asked the woman to cut Lacey down from the swing to see if he was breathing. Dispatcher, do you have anyone with you where we can cut him down from the swing? We need to see if he's breathing. Caller, he's not breathing, Patty. Dispatcher, he's not breathing? Caller, oh god, I don't have anything to cut him down with. Recall that Lennon was 17. Nowhere close to being late 30s, early 40s. It is possible, though, that his face could have been distorted and therefore difficult to guess his age. So we have this 52-year-old woman who was able to take down 207 to 240 pound Lennon down from the swing set while still on the phone with dispatch. If she had nothing to cut him down with, how exactly did she take him down? By untying the belts and or leash? Did she manage to lift him until there was slack? Can you even imagine? how that struggle would look like, and so begin the inconsistencies. According to Dr. Deborah Radish, North Carolina's chief medical examiner, some portion must be missing because there was no secondary cut in either belt. The cut would have been necessary to bring down Lennon's body. This is the same chief medical examiner that declared Lennon had committed suicide, and we will get to that in just a minute. So somehow this woman was able to bring him down without cutting the noose. Claudia Lacey, Lennon's mother, said that the Bladenboro police chief, Chris Hunt, 
arrived at her home and asked her to come with him to identify a body. This was at about 12 p.m. She was confused as to why she needed to identify a body and how this was connected to her. When she arrived to the mobile home community playground area, she saw a police officer wrapping up the crime scene tape. This stood out to her because she thought crime scene tape is normally left around a scene for some time to preserve the integrity of evidence. She was then escorted to an ambulance, which had the black body bag, which held Lennon. She said, I unzipped the bag down to his waist. I was in shock, despair, but I wanted to see what had happened to him. I wanted to know why my son was here, in this desolate place, lying dead in a body bag. As I stepped back out of the vehicle, I spoke out loud and clear. Whoever did this, I said, they took him down because he didn't do this to himself. Then, four days later, Police Chief Hunt came to see her to let her know investigators found no evidence of wrongdoing, suggesting cause of Lennon's death was suicide. Many of Lennon's teammates refused to believe that he had committed suicide as he had spent the entire summer training for the upcoming game. One teammate in particular, Anthony White, said that Lennon was really excited. He was looking forward to doing good in the game. In those four days between Lennon being found and the police's suicide determination, not a single police officer came to the Lacey house to search Lennon's room, look at his phone, or ask about what he was wearing or the sneakers found on his body. The sneakers, referencing the white Nike Air Forces found on Lennon's person, that were two sizes too small, missing shoelaces, and were not recognized by anyone in his family. In fact, Lennon was recently sporting a brand new pair of Air Jordan shoes, with a lime green detail in his usual size of 12. The Jordans, to this day, have never been found. Claudia was, understandably, in complete disbelief at the police's conclusion of suicide. He's going to walk a quarter mile from his house in a pair of shoes that's two sizes too small after he takes off his new pair of shoes. And this is a 17-year-old black kid with a brand new pair of Jordans on. He's going to take those Jordans off and just get rid of them and put on some shoes that's not his. We don't know where he got them from, no laces in them, and continue to walk down this dirt road late at night to swing set in the middle of the trailer park and hang himself, she said. She continued, The place Lennon died also suggests to me that he didn't end his life voluntarily there. Lennon was a very shy boy. If he were going to do something like that, he wouldn't do it in such an exposed space, hanging from a swing set in plain view of all those trailer homes. When Lennon's body arrived to be autopsied, the small white shoes that were found on his person were missing. It's unclear what happened to the shoes, although the SBI, shorthand for State Bureau of Investigation, did collect them. The mortician, who had actually met Lennon a few days prior due to a loss in the Lacey family, noticed Lennon's unusual face and compared his scratches and abrasions to that of corpses he had embalmed, where the deceased had been killed in a bar fight. He is adamant that Lennon did not kill himself and instead was trying to defend himself. The autopsy report was conducted by Dr. Deborah Radish, the chief medical examiner I mentioned earlier, and she concluded that the cause of death in this case was due to asphyxia secondary to hanging. Despite the clearly stated cause of death, the report did not provide any kind of insight as to how Lennon came to be hanging. The report noted that Lennon's neck had a dark abrasion encircling it, along with a buckle mark under the right ear that were consistent with the noose found. However, Lennon was also found with a lump on his head that was not explained and was not documented in the autopsy report. Under a subheading titled Skin, it was documented that no scalp lacerations or contusions are present. As red ants were found on Lennon's body and clothing, it was suggested that insects were most likely responsible for the scratches on his face, upper chest, arms, and scrotum. Another glaring issue in the report was the reference to Lennon's depression, where it was written that it was reported that he had been depressed over the recent death of his uncle. 
The Lacey family was upset and confused as to why this would be mentioned in a report when it was irrelevant to the physical and forensic analysis involved in the autopsy. Pierre Lacey, one of Lennon's siblings, stated that an autopsy cannot determine whether a person was depressed. You can't tell that from physical signs, so why was it put in the report? He said that this notation was a red flag. Pierre said, If my brother wanted to take his own life, I can't understand why he would do it in such an exposed place. This feels more like he was put here as a public display, a taunting almost. It was suggested by an attorney working with the family that the reference to depression suggested that the autopsy had been influenced from the start by a presumption of suicide. That presumption probably started with that phone call when the woman said that Lennon hung himself. The handling of Lennon's body was also a concern. No swabs had appeared to be taken that could be used to run through DNA testing to determine if someone else had been present. Finally, the report noted that Lennon's hands had not been bagged, which is done as standard procedure when investigations into suspicious deaths are conducted so that DNA evidence is protected from potential contamination by wrapping the hands in paper bags. A toxicology report was conducted which found no traces of drugs or alcohol in Lennon's system. In a later interview, Claudia revealed that she didn't tell anyone at the time, but she smelled chlorine when she was close to Lennon's body that day in the ambulance. Lennon's family maintained that he was focused on college and football and had a girlfriend. He had been in a relationship with 32-year-old Michelle Brimhall, a white neighbor of his. The age of consent in North Carolina is 16. On this relationship, Claudia stated that she was shocked and disappointed. She also initially told him how she felt, that she did not approve of it. Claudia did not like their almost 15-year difference. Many people wondered if Lennon was murdered due to the interracial relationship. Now, the population of Bladenboro, North Carolina, in 2014 was 1,795 people. In 2021, the number had dropped to 1,651. This is an extremely small town. According to Data USA, in 2020, there were 3.11 times more white non-Hispanic residents, so approximately 1,420 people, in Bladenboro than any other race or ethnicity. There were 458 Black or African American, non-Hispanic, and 74 American Indian and Alaska Native non-Hispanic resident, the second and third most common ethnic groups. In fact, Bladenboro has a nickname, Crackertown, due to this predominantly white population. In a predominantly white small town in the South, an interracial relationship fueled the anger of some of the residents. According to an article by The Guardian, a white couple, Carla Hudson and Dewey Sykes, lived in a trailer home right behind the Lacey house. Soon after Lennon died, his family learned a few years ago the couple had been instructed by police to remove from their front lawn a number of Confederate flags and signs saying, and words, keep out. When interviewed by The Guardian, Dewey said that there were some kids who ganged up on our kid and I put some signs up. When he was asked whether he now regretted doing so, he replied, yeah, I regret it now. How awfully convenient. I mean, The Guardian had his complete name published. What's he gonna say? No? Were we expecting a comment about self-reflection and growth? Carla said she had begged her husband to take the signs down. I told him he had to stop that. It wasn't how I saw things. There's not a racist bone in my body. When asked about Lennon, Carla said, Lennon was like a son to me, and this was his second home. He was nothing like the people we have trouble with. In my eyes, he was just perfect. He was nothing like the people we have trouble with. What does that even mean? There was no evidence found to suggest that the couple had anything to do with Lennon's death. However, Always in Season revealed that Sykes is the cousin of a member of the Bladenboro Police Department. This thought process of 
I'm not a racist, but Confederate flags and a sign saying the N-word adorned my home until the cops had to come is next-level mental gymnastics. Carla, Dewey, and their son packed up and moved away after Lennon's death. According to one of Lennon's friends, they moved away a little too fast. So let's circle back to Michelle. Again, depending on the source you read, Michelle either left her husband and left her hometown in Illinois to move to the small town of Bladenboro, or she moved to Fayetteville with her husband and then left him moving to Bladenboro. She also has three kids with her former spouse. Michelle said that she hit it off with Lennon after they were introduced through friends. She was great friends with Carla, and Lennon would often spend time with Carla and Dewey's son at their home. Michelle and Lennon were also neighbors living across the road from each other. She said, I found everything about Lennon attractive. He was tall and strong, and he acted much older than what he was. He had a very good soul. Keep in mind, this is a minor that she is talking about. I just don't understand how she as a mother could think dating a teenager and someone almost 15 years her junior was acceptable. I don't know the genders of her children, nor do I want to assume, but if she had a 17-year-old daughter and a 32-year-old male with children and an ex-wife preyed on her, would she be okay with that? Can she answer honestly if the roles were reversed? She would be okay with this relationship? Michelle went on to say that they were together every day until she started college and he went back to school. She wanted Lennon to fulfill his dreams, go into the NFL, and play for the Washington Redskins. She said they made plans to move to Charlotte after he finished high school, where he could go to school until he got into the NFL. As a final note, she felt the need to mention that her kids loved Lennon. Neighbors began to make remarks towards her and their relationship, saying that it was not right for her to be dating a black guy. Michelle said that they tried to keep their relationship a secret and never held hands or kissed while out in public. She also said that she was confronted twice by the Lacey family in the relationship, but instead of Michelle being the mature adult that she should have been, she said that they told Lennon's parents they had stopped their relationship as apparently his parents were getting on at him because of the age difference. I want to be perfectly clear here. Kids and teenagers are, for the most part, going to do what they think is best and what they want to do. It's a phase, it's part of growing up and finding their way and their identity. It's quite possible Lennon chose to maintain a secret relationship with Michelle. It's also very possible that they did break up because he chose to listen to his parents. Unfortunately, as Lennon has died, he can't confirm nor deny what Michelle has said. Regardless of the path Lennon took, I wanted to be clear here that at the end of the day, he was still a 17-year-old teenager. Michelle is the adult here, and not only should she have not pursued a relationship with Lennon, she should have, at the minimum, put a stop to it when things started to get serious. On the topic of this relationship, Pierre, Lennon's brother, said that we allowed him to make his own decisions, but we encouraged him to do the right thing. He was in love with her and her kids. Claudia said that the pair dated for about 10 months despite her pleas. One of Lennon's friends said that Michelle was a crack-addicted prostitute, to which she denied, stating that she is not a drug addict. Michelle's father, however, confirmed in an interview that she has a drug problem. According to one of the family's attorneys, Michelle fueled her drug habit by providing companionship to males. This upset Lennon very much as he would see men coming in and out of Michelle's home. Michelle's former husband was not interviewed by detectives. There is no evidence to suggest he harmed Lennon. However, the Lacey family would like to know why he was never contacted. Now, coming back to that fourth day when investigators showed up to the Lacey house, a state investigator had asked Claudia if Lennon had been depressed recently. She told them yes because he had recently experienced a loss. Recall that the state medical examiner cited that exchange in the autopsy report. In regards to this loss, Lennon had a great uncle he was very close to that had been suffering from a long-term illness. 
This uncle unfortunately succumbed to this illness about two weeks before Lenin's death. The day before Lenin's death, he had attended the funeral of his great uncle. Watching someone you love battle an incurable illness puts you in a highly stressful constant state of being, wondering from one day to the next when they may pass, or feeling helpless that there's nothing you can do to buy more time or ease their pain. It is completely understandable then that Lennon felt depressed after the passing of his uncle. The issue was that the police took this statement and ran with it, assuming he was clinically depressed as opposed to filled with overwhelming grief. Of course, it's easy to say he killed himself when his mother had mentioned that he was depressed. Due to the way the police were handling Lennon's death, the Lacey family reached out to the NC chapter of the NAACP, which were instrumental in helping move the case along. The FBI agreed to get involved after the NAACP began to ask questions. The NAACP also hired their own expert pathologist, Dr. Christina Roberts, to conduct her own examination and dissect Dr. Radish's original report. Dr. Roberts stated that the timeline of events for the night of Lennon's death are only partially known. He was with his parents until about 10.30pm when he went for a walk, which we know was a normal habit for him. She also explains in the report that Dr. Radish noted her determination of suicide was based on information she was given by law enforcement and the local medical examiner at the time of the autopsy. The medical examiner office was given information that Lacey was depressed over the recent death of his uncle, Dr. Roberts said. However, there were no expressions of wishing to bring about his own death. Instead, she wrote that Lennon was looking forward to playing the next day in a football game. Dr. Radish says she was not provided with photographs or dimensions of the swing set, so she was unable to evaluate if it was even feasible for Lacey to hang himself from the structure. According to Dr. Roberts, the height of the crossbeam of the swing set to the ground was 7 feet 5 inches and Lennon was 5 foot 9. She also said a photo provided showed Lennon's brother, who is 6 foot 4, could not reach the beam. Furthermore, Roberts explains there were no swings or items at the scene that Lacey could have stood on. What is most concerning about the apparent news is that the person who called 911 said she was going to cut the person she found down, Dr. Roberts wrote in her exam. She made an additional comment that funeral home personnel stated it took three men to move Lennon while making preparations. Three men! but this 52-year-old woman was able to bring Lennon down. The report explains there is conflicting information about what happened at the scene between the medical examiner office and the police. A chief, Bobby Kinlaw, said that the SBI would not let him take photos at the scene and threatened to take his camera if he did. The case encounter form notes that no photographs were taken because the crime scene tech was at another homicide. Threatened to take his camera? I mean, really? And the crime scene tech was at another homicide? In this small town? So does this mean they considered Lennon's death a homicide, even if for a second? Lastly, Dr. Roberts said that the autopsy report notes there were no evidence of blunt force trauma and no defensive wounds. However, remember we discussed a lump on Lennon's forehead. Family and funeral home personnel were concerned about a knot on the right side of his head that was visible in photos taken at the funeral home. Dr. Roberts explains the bump was not present in the identification photos taken at the morgue during the autopsy. WECT, a television station based out of Wilmington, North Carolina, later published an article stating that the FBI file on Lennon had been recently released to them. This file explained how investigators came to the conclusion that Lennon was not a victim of a hate crime but instead had committed suicide. 
Heavily redacted, only 823 essential pages of the report were released to WECT. The first item discussed was Lennon's frame of mind around the time of his death. He had apparently confided to one of his closest friends that he wanted to die and tried to kill himself recently, specifically with belts. The friend further revealed that the belt had broke and Lennon was unsuccessful. We know from Claudia that Lennon was depressed in the days leading to his death due to the loss of his great uncle, but not professionally diagnosed with depression. Other friends and loved ones, though not specified who, told investigators that Lennon was angry, withdrawn, quieter than usual, and had trouble keeping food down. There were also documents provided that showed Claudia calling Lennon's high school guidance counselor a few days prior to his passing, asking staff members to keep an eye on him. Being withdrawn, the inability to keep food down, being quiet, and none of these things are out of character when dealing with grief. It was also reported that Michelle had recently broken up with Lennon and that in the hours before his death, he saw Michelle entering her home with another man. There were several leads worked on and theories discussed. Apparently, interviews were done across the state following some of these leads. As for theories, they range from Lennon being lynched by racists who disapproved of his interracial relationship with Michelle, to something about a prior crime where Lennon and some of his friends had been jumped during an attempted burglary. After Lennon's death, his grave was also defaced and the person responsible was prosecuted, but no leads as to a homicide panned out. Surveillance footage had also been obtained, and while investigators were unable to make out the individual walking from the direction of Lennon's home, they believed it was him. The lack of other people in the video, according to WECT, made it unlikely that he was attacked. A lot of the focus surrounding Lennon's death were the shoes that were found on his person and the belts. As previously stated, the shoes found on Lennon were not recognized by members of the family and were too small for him. However, friends of Lennon told investigators that they had seen him wearing the pair of shoes before. Lennon had also participated in Army JROTC and had been custom-fitted for shoes as part of his uniform. JROTC, or the Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps, is a military-themed character development program offered to high school students to assist in developing their capacity for citizenship, leadership, character building, and service to the community. As part of the program, you need to wear the branch's uniform as specified by the instructors. According to the detectives who had gone to Lennon's school, he wore size 10 and a half shoes with his uniform, and while he did have shoes that were size 12 in his closet, this information was enough for them to determine that the shoes Lennon wore the night he died fit properly and likely were his own. Well, what about the missing shoelaces? As for the belts tied around his neck, the family maintained that they did not recognize the belts that were used as a noose in Lennon's death. However, in going through Lennon's social media posts, investigators found selfies with belts that looked identical to the ones that had been tied together. I'm surprised the friends weren't asked to verify this detail. That was sarcasm. Also, wasn't it a belt and a dog leash? Another major point that we discussed that had people believing that Lennon was murdered was his height versus the height of the swing set. A reenactment was conducted and agents determined that despite the swing set being nearly 8 feet tall, Lennon, at 5'9", would be able to hang himself without assistance. As his body was found near the side of the swing that was close to the slide and climbing platform, he would have been able to hoist himself up that way. Additionally, a swing that had been present at the time of his death could have been used for him to reach the upper part of the swing set to affix a noose. We also talked about the 52-year-old woman who managed to get Lennon down from the swing set. I leafed through this 832-page report and found this excerpt. 
A woman, H.S., who lived in one of the 11 homes on the horseshoe, reported that she had left her home that morning around 6.30 a.m. to drop her boyfriend off at work in Clarkton, North Carolina. When she returned home at 7.30 a.m., she noticed what she believed to be a man standing by one of the swing sets. When she looked again and noticed that the man had not moved, she grew suspicious. H.S. noticed S.B. at a utility shed near the opening of the horseshoe. S.B., a Bladenboro resident, was starting up a riding lawnmower in order to mow the Bladen rental property's lawn. H.S. approached S.B. and asked her about the man. S.B. said that she would investigate and drove the lawnmower over to the swing set. S.B. stated to law enforcement that she had noticed the man by the swing set as she was driving to the mobile home park around 7.15 a.m., but took no further action until approached by H.S. As S.B. approached the swing set, she noticed that the man was not standing, but was hanging from the swing set. S.B. told the SBI that as she approached the swing set, she observed a black male hanging by the neck with his feet approximately five inches off the ground and that the black male appeared to be lifeless. She noted that the male appeared to be hanging by some sort of strap or belt, that there were two such straps, one black and one blue. She recalled that the strap had been wrapped twice around the crossbeam of the swing set and fed through an eyeball, where a swing would normally be attached. As SB stepped off the lawnmower, she called 911 and reported the incident. The 911 operator dispatched EMS to the mobile home park and instructed SB to cut him down to see if he was breathing. After several efforts, SB was able to untie the knot and with some difficulty, lower Lennon to the ground. He was lowered into a face-down position. S.B. noted that Lennon's hands were hanging free by his side and were not bound. S.B. reported that Lennon did not appear to be breathing and that he had no pulse. At that time, EMS arrived. Shortly after 10 a.m., two agents began canvassing the area to determine if any of the nearby residents had seen or heard anything the night before. Most of the residents were not home at that hour. Most of the residents who happened to be home reported that they did not see or hear anything. One resident reported hearing a noise between 11 and 11.30 p.m., but she did not see anything suspicious when she went outside to investigate. One resident reported a knock at the front door at 12.27 a.m., but he did not see or hear anything when he looked out the window. So this SB individual saw what appeared to be an 8-foot man standing by an outdoor playset frequented by children without moving, and the thought process was to keep moving along with her workday I mean, if you saw an 8-foot tall man, wouldn't that make you just do a double take? And if he's standing motionless by a playground toy, isn't that just like a little weird or freaky? Maybe this mobile home was spread out and from a distance it didn't seem like an 8-foot man. Okay, but what about him just standing there motionless? How do we explain that kind of behavior? And what about the call? He killed himself. Why would that be her first assumption? And she was able to untie the noose. I mean, are we really overlooking how ridiculous this sounds? A 207 to 240 pound body. The tension that must have been on that knot. Hanging from an 8 foot swing. The woman is 5'2 and she just, what, tippy-toed and untied him? Really? Come on. While the state medical examiner had initially declined to do an autopsy request after some pushback from the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation and District Attorney John David, the autopsy was done. Per WECT, no visible injuries to Lennon's body apart from ligature marks and superficial wounds from ampites. 
After his body was taken from the swing set, he was on the ground for some time while authorities examined the crime scene, and during that time, red ants got to him. The medical examiner, Dr. Deborah Radish, noted ants were still on him and alive when Lennon's body arrived for the autopsy. She determined that he died from asphyxia due to hanging, and she did not believe he could have been killed in some kind of chokehold prior to his death. After Lennon's story picked up national attention, she drove down to Bladen County to assess the scene for herself and stood by her original decision that Lennon's death was a suicide. In the conclusion of the WCT article, Claudia was contacted for a comment on the FBI findings, but she had not been made aware that it was released. WCT forwarded her the report. When they reached out again, she declined to comment on if she agreed with the findings. The NAACP was also contacted for a comment, but they too were unaware that the report had been released and asked for some time to review the file before commenting. Ultimately, the NAACP did release a statement in which they said that although the federal representatives were unable to answer all of the family's lingering questions about some evidence, Ms. Lacey and the NCNAACP lawyers were satisfied the federal authorities had tried to conduct a thorough investigation. The NCNAACP and Ms. Lacey have always said that we can take the truth and that it will set us free. They will take some time to process this news before announcing their next steps in this case. There is no statute of limitations on a murder case. On June 19, 2016, The Guardian released an article detailing the outpour of rage on social media from friends of the Lacey family and black activists stating that the federal investigation was a cover-up. One person wrote, America's laws were not meant for black people. I'm appalled that the federal officials have the audacity to close the case without giving the family the satisfaction of knowing the truth behind the murder. Another individual wrote, This is disgraceful. No investigation was conducted. It was physically and mathematically impossible for suicide to happen with a 200-pound man and a short dog leash. The article also mentioned how a new pair of Jordans that Lacey had bought were missing, while a white pair of white sneakers that nobody recognized was found on his body. Well, nobody except those friends mentioned in the WECT article. Michelle had also been interviewed by The Guardian, to which she said that she was convinced he did not take his own life, though she added there had been no hostility towards them as a mixed-race couple. But didn't we just discuss that she and Lennon had been targeted by white races who told her they disapproved of interracial relationships? She literally stated same in an interview with the Daily Mail. So which one is it, Michelle? I'd like to know, what do you think? Do you think Lennon was depressed due to the loss of his uncle and his relationship and committed suicide by hanging himself from a children's swing set? Or do you think this is a cover-up of a hate crime? Will the murderers of any walk free? Will it be just a matter of time before more details emerge? Was this a lynching or a staged lynching? The NAACP did say there is no statute of limitations on a murder case in their statement. Was that intended to be open-ended? The Guardian referred to their comments as non-committal, and I'm inclined to agree. In the end, if what I have shared with you is not enough to make you think that there is a possibility that Lennon was lynched, I encourage you to watch the documentary Always in Season. As mentioned, it is an incredibly strong documentary that discusses Lennon's story and analyzes the long-lasting effects of more than a century of lynching African Americans, while examining the possibility that lynchings are still occurring today. Based on the articles I've read, however, lynchings do still exist. They've just transformed. They happen under the guise of crimes or suspicious suicides. Here are just a handful of recent examples. In 1998, James Byrd was chained to a car by three white supremacists and dragged to his death in the streets of Jasper, Texas. In 2020, Ahmad Arbery was fatally shot while jogging near Brunswick, Georgia. The three white men charged with killing Ahmad claimed that he was trespassing. 
In 2020, George Floyd, who was killed in broad daylight by a police officer who held him down with a knee on his neck for more than nine minutes. The death of Breonna Taylor, a medical worker who was shot and killed by police officers in Louisville, Kentucky in March 2020 during a botched raid. Lynchings have mutated and metastasized. They haven't gone away. That terror is still alive today. 